you know, being we want everyone wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. I mean that that feels good. But as we grow into leadership positions and take on bigger management assignments or those types of things, we uh, are going to make some decisions that aren't going to make everyone happy. Now, you can still, everyone cannot be happy, but we can also make a decision that we explain, here's how we got there. And that leads us to be respected. Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Ellen Tafe. We are so thrilled to have you. I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, Emily. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, So my name is Ellen Tafe. I'm a clinical associate professor in the area of leadership at Kellogg School of Management of Northwestern University. And I'm also the director of the Women's Leadership Program there. Um, I do all this after a 25-year corporate career, five years running a small business. And I also sit on three boards and do a little bit of coaching outside. You couldn't be a more perfect guest for the Leadership is Female podcast based on your history and what you're currently teaching at such a prestigious school at Northwestern. And I want to dive right in. I've done some research on you, watched your TEDx Will Met video, and you've written some books. You do so much. So we're going to dive into these topics. And the first one is you talk about an interesting concept. We've all heard about the glass ceiling and you discuss the mirrored door. Tell us what that is. Sure. So it's it's the name of my book, The Mirror Door, Break Through the Hidden Barrier That Locks Successful Women in Place. And my contention is that there is a powerful barrier that we don't even see that's invisible to us that we have to get through to get anywhere close to the glass ceiling. And my metaphor is the mirror door. It's It's this moment that many women encounter, including myself, when we face opportunity and reflect inward and think we're not ready or we're not worthy. And so often it's a distorted view that has us holding back or relying on past behaviors that have worked for us, when in reality, all the growth is from taking action and we are more ready than we realize. I couldn't agree more. And I know that you really dive into this in your book and give us the strategies to open that mirror door and walk through really the gateway of opportunity. And you've said that you've discovered five strategies that can help women succeed, but also can unintentionally sideline us. So what are they and how do they help us succeed and alternately sometimes hamstring us from that new opportunity and how can we overcome it? Sure. So I I see these patterns from research, from 
uh, my students, from women I've coached, from friends. I also see it at times in myself. And, and there's five of them. The first one is preparing to perfection. The second one is eagerly pleasing. The third one is fitting the mold. The fourth one is working pedal to the metal. And the last one is performing patiently. And these are ones that rose to the top. So let me start with preparing to perfection, something that's so common in lots of people, lots of leaders, but in particular women. And it, it, it helps drive our success. It leads to great performance. We're known for excellent delivery, being on time, on budget, and, and delivering in something that other people can really count on, whatever that work product is that we do. So we become known for that. Um, it's, it's a tremendous advantage for us because of the excellence that we deliver. The, the challenge is as expectations rise and we don't have all that time for the preparation that it took us generally to deliver that excellence, that it can become stressful internally, but we also risk a perception that I'm not sure if she can take risks. I'm not sure if she can decide without all that extra work and a number of other things. You know, it can also lead to that stress of I've got to be so perfect in my delivery that maybe I'm micromanaging others. So it can impact other people and ourselves. And and the the action that can help that is stepping back and realizing that we're more ready, but asking for help. So that might look like talking to one's boss and identifying what are the projects that need to be A plus delivery. It's probably not everything and it shouldn't be everything. So that this is likely this perfectionist's tendency also showed up in school where we could do the work, get the grade, and we could get it done. But then we get into the workplace and and so often you know we we have to prioritize and so getting help to prioritize helping to understand asking a lot of questions around what's the risk about what this deliverable is is this something that it's a deck that needs to be in a plus shape or is it something that perhaps could be a rough draft and i could share here are my thoughts let's get yours um, but but so often we treat everything like it has to be A plus perfect. Yeah, I I love what you said here and I'm resonating with it so much. I often say, give yourself permission to make it messy because it's getting that rough draft out there. And oftentimes we don't need to spend the extra hours and the extra time making it perfect. It's It's unnecessary work, stress and pressure. And I often give this example, the last company I worked for, Billionaire Ownership Group, the decks that we presented were to be on a white slide with black Times New Roman text, no flash, no color, no design, no, no brand guidelines, simple digestion is what was required. However, myself and, and the designers could have spent a week making something beautiful, but without knowing what was expected on the delivery, you know, we didn't know that the most important piece was the content, not the beautification. And so I, I think that's just, it's such a great example of 
asking those critical questions before you prepare to perfection, because your idea of perfection might be different from what's expected in the delivery. Yeah. And what a great example of a culture where they're making what's important clear. Mm -hmm. But when it's not, which is in a lot of other cases, we adopt this, well, I had to be perfect in school when there was a rubric of getting to perfect. And then we take that on and it can really be limiting. And and we can become that person who is talked about as more of a, that we are hungry, go-getter early in our career. And then later on, it could end up being like, she's more of a worker bee. I want her on my team, but do I want her to lead the team? I'm not so sure because of that decision-making, delegation, and risk-taking that is so important as we rise in our careers. And, and, and we have to learn to make some of those decisions um, and decide a lot earlier, you know, before we have, um, you know, all the time for preparation. Yeah. Okay. This is so good. What's number two? So number two is eagerly pleasing. And this is so often attached to uh, being a good girl growing up, being very other oriented, but this makes someone the glue that holds the team together. It's about anticipating and reading the room, prioritizing others. And that helps us to influence others too. We, We tend to be peacemakers as well. And the the risk in that for us individually is that we can neglect our own needs and we can rely on these solid, wonderful relationships, but think that they we can't inject conflict into them. And, and so we, we don't always see that our relationships, especially someone who's so other oriented, chances are our relationships really can withstand when we say something uh, that conflicts or, you know, controversial or give some challenging feedback. And organizationally, we can be seen as too soft or can't make the tough decisions or face conflict. And those are all part of leadership as well. Um, so some of the, the solutions around that are, you know, seeking respect over likability and, and tapping into the care we have for others and our teams to be straight about what's really going on, whether that is some feedback or uh, those kinds of things. I have in the book some steps to set boundaries. And and that's really one of the biggest things that, that someone who is eagerly pleasing, the more they can balance out, where am I in the equation? Is it all about other people? Or, Or where am I in that priority list? And then also, setting boundaries, uh, that being able to say no, being able to say, I can't do this. Here's what I can do, or here's what I would recommend for you to do and not take it on yourself. You said something interesting there, respect over likability. Can you go into that a little bit more about the difference between the two? Because I think a lot of times we probably think those are completely intertwined. Yeah. And you know, being, we want, everyone wants to be liked. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that feels good. But as we grow into leadership positions and take on bigger management assignments or those types of things, we uh, are going to make some decisions that aren't going to make everyone happy. Now, you can still 
everyone cannot be happy, but we can also make a decision that we explain here's how we got there. And that leads us to be respected. They may not, it may not be about liking us personally, but I respect that she took in our feedback. She had these other things that were going on that she weighed and she made a call on it. And, and some, sometimes we are um, so much wanting to be liked that we don't make a decision or, or we make a decision to please others in long-term, maybe that's not the right thing for the team or the business. Uh, so, so it's about decision-making and about understanding that respect is the more valued thing as we grow in our careers. But it, it's a shift because we like to be liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I, I completely am on board with that. And that was such a great description of, of how that evolution happens. And it often goes from when you're more junior on the team and you're looking for uh, the opportunity to be a great colleague. And then when you become a manager, those critical decisions start uh, coming up pretty often and you have to shed that skin of being everyone's favorite on the team because you're so likable to elevating yourself to a position of respect that's making the best decisions for the company. So, yeah, I like how you say that when you are eagerly pleasing, you do feel like maybe you're the favorite Mm -hmm. or, you know, and it becomes part of your identity. So you can still keep that well-liked, but it's like adding on the respect layer that, that will take you far when you have to make, give tough feedback or make tough calls on things as well. Absolutely. Okay. Number three. <laughs> Number three is fitting the mold. And, and this is going into a situation with a ease of entry of, you know, understanding sort of how things work and kind of see what does success look like. It's somebody who's agile, can read people and the culture and um, and that's all good. It helps us to to you know ramp up pretty quickly. In particular, if we're one of the the few or the only, um, so so it it is a success strategy for sure. But where it becomes perilous is when we don't show enough of our real self and start to feel like um, I don't I don't want to share my opinions or myself. And we not only rob the company or our team of our opinions, which would really help likely diversify the thinking, um, but it also seeds doubt. It can seed doubt in, did they really choose me for me or am I the only woman on the team? Or am I the only woman of color or, or the you know, various parts of intersectionality? Um, and, and so you know, we don't see, our, don't see that our seat at the table is, is really firm and foundational and therefore it, it creates a, a stress and other people aren't really learning from us when we hold back. Uh, and, and this is, you know, about evaluating, am I, am I, you know, letting go too much of myself to fit the mold? What's happening in this culture? Is the mold expanding or breaking? And am I up for driving change or not? So, you know, I, I tell a story of being told not to wear red. I'm not wearing red today, but if you look at my website, I wear red a lot in my presentations. 
So that was years ago, and that's likely not happening now. But there's all kinds of other aspects of people's identity that they feel like they can't always share. And that could be anything from like, I don't want to talk about my little kids because I don't want to be seen as uh, I'm not as committed to the job. Or it could be one of my coaching clients was a woman who was black was trying to figure out, can I wear my natural hair in this new job? That's being who she really is but she hadn't seen that. And so it's this debate of, do I want to fit the mold or do I want to expand it? And, and at different times in our careers, we're up for driving change or not. And it's understanding, uh, you know, depending on the culture, how, how might you uh, really understand what the culture is like and, and how likely are you to be able to and ready to lead changes to that culture. And mm -hmm. so it's important for us to understand who are we, what are our strengths, how do what does showing up as our, you know, as authentic as we can in a work environment and to be efficient and effective as well. Yeah, I love the way you talked about this because we've heard so much about authenticity in the last three years. And I think there's some confusion about how, how do I show up as my authentic self at work? Like, what does that really mean? And representing the antithesis of that, the fitting the mold, I think was a really great way of helping us understand that concept a little bit deeper. So that is, uh, that's a fantastic insight. Thank you. I, I also think that we also have to adapt in a way that is not selling our soul. Mm -hmm. So so we have to, we want to grow and adapt. And maybe that's who we are, but turning up or down the volume on that in a way to be more effective in the work environment. So I am all for that. But I do think there is this, you know, what, how authentic can I be or should I be in a, in a work environment? And it's, it's sort of different in every every uh, company. So, and it's hard to detect when you're interviewing. So the more time you can spend trying to figure that out or ask other people, ask the whole interview team, what's the culture like? What, what, you know, who succeeds here and, and what, how are things changing as well? Yeah. And I liked what you said about how there's different times during our career where we're more up for this and others that were not. And I think that is a really great permission slip to write to people to say, Hey, if it's not today, if it's not this year, because you have other things going on and that's fine. That's fine too. We don't always have to show up as this dynamic change maker. Those circumstances can waver across our career and uh, really across who we're working for as well. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think this number three you have about fitting the mold is a really good gut check for us on, on how your behavior is represented in your workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like how you added to that too. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot to figure out and there's seasons of life or, or seasons within a company in our time there too. We have to figure out what we're up for. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's dive into number four. <laughs> The next one is pushing pedal to the metal. And this is being, you know, 
high capacity, hard charging to get things done. Um, and this is someone who powers through tirelessly. They drive results. They're goal focused. It's it's you know someone who can make things happen um, and lead others. And this is a wonderful, successful strategy where it can can be a pitfall or become perilous for us is is when we don't bring others along or we burn ourselves out and or <laughs> I should say and so the bringing others along this this can happen and I use an example in the book of someone coming from one kind of industry where more people were in this hard charging kind of way and then coming into another organization and she sort of lost her team and had to go back and kind of rebuild relationships and explain her motivation. So, so when someone, uh, it, what's important to be a leader is also to create followership. And this sometimes, if you're way ahead of everyone else, you, you, you look around and where's the team? And it's so important to help others understand who you are. So sometimes just even sharing the intention or, or where our motivation comes from why it matters to us and, and it sort of explains our actions can be helpful, but it also might be time to pause and slow down to speed up in, in the sense of bringing others along and maybe maybe building others' accountabilities too. Then the other part of this personally is this is so often I have seen women who uh, exhibit this get sick after a big, long project. This is the the person who pushes, pushes themselves and then is exhausted and is, is burnt out. So this idea of pausing to bring your team along can also match this pausing to take care of yourself too and make sure you really can go the distance versus the surge kind of way of, of working. So um, it's important to stop and build those bonds with other people, but also reflect on yourself. Um, I think that it also can be a bias for women too. This pushing really hard, it can receive some backlash. And so this idea of sharing who you are, I call it the offset and an offset to bias um, where uh, I, I have an example of um, a professor I work with is one of these people who is this hard charging person who pushes forward. And she knows the reaction that some of her students can have. So the first day of class, she says, I'm gonna be the hardest teacher you ever have, but you are gonna know this stuff like most of your peers outside will not know. So let's get started. And so she, so it might be like, oh, I'm taken back, but like, hey, there's a benefit there with this mm -hmm. person's style. She knows who she is and she knows the impact she can have on people because she's trying to do an offset, which is so important. And so it's just important to pair our drive with our why and structure our interactions with our team uh, to really get to know them, to make sure we're establishing processes and structures to get their input and feedback um, and, uh, you know, it, it's always good to have an ally on your team. Maybe it's someone who works for you or next to you or above you who can help you 
as you're working on this to know like when you're pushing too hard and when it's time to let let up a little bit. That offset was so perfect. I mean, what a setup for her to be to be the the leader and the professor that she is who knows she's going to drive excellence for her students, but by introducing herself in that way, she let the students know what's in it for them. And that's what people want to know. Like what's in it for me at the end and she's telling them like, "Hey, I'm going to be hard on you, but you are going to be better, smarter, faster, more well-prepared than your peers because you went through this with me, with me at the lead. So I think that's such a great example of how we could bring that into the workplace or into our leadership style to introduce the way that you lead to your team and tell them what's in it for them. What is that benefit at the end of the day that you are a strong leader? And I want to talk about number five, and then I want to go back to that sort of dialogue in the way that we describe ourselves as as leaders. There was some interesting conversation about that um, pre-interview. We'll pause that for a second. And I want to go to number five, performing patiently and finish up this amazing list and all these tips. So the number five strategy. So that is performing patiently. And this is waiting to be noticed. This is heads down, delivering results not being the squeaky wheel and not seeing that the squeaky wheel often gets the grease, being patient with your boss, your company. So that's all good. That's, that is as someone who's led a lot of people, boy, that's a breath of fresh air to have someone who's performing patiently. But over time, what, what can happen is the boss or management doesn't see what you really want, doesn't know your ambitions, and might think that you're not very ambitious or don't don't want that because they might, in comparison, have other people who are chomping at the bit to get the next promotion. And, and that so often, as someone who's managed a lot of people, the guys would come in and when am I getting promoted? And here's why I deserve another raise at such a constant rate. And I saw many people, and I, I did this myself too, um, we're waiting patiently. And so, it, you know, the risks are visibility, assumptions about your ambition, and your frustration can grow. Like, what about me? All these other people have, you know, gotten gotten acknowledged in whatever way, whether that's a title or or the big project or or something like that. And it the risk personally is also it ends up other people end up controlling your destiny. Um, and, and so it's really important to, in many ways, reframe the idea of self-promotion, which feels really icky for many, to that's career planning. Mm-hmm. And the importance of having time with your boss or, or the people who are decision makers to uh, be able to understand, here's what I'm interested in, and, and really getting into a conversation about how am I tracking relative to what my ambitions are? How, what's the process that these, these people got promoted good for them? I'd like to understand where I am at and how I'm considered too. So all of these things are about taking a courageous step towards action. And that may be conversation, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, in, in the book, I talk about really um, a, a little framework I have called SIGN, 
that is about identifying what are the stakes, what are your, what's your intention, what's your goals, and what are your negotiables. It's a way to sort of structure and get ready for a conversation with, with generally your boss or manager so that you're sending them a sign too of here, here's what I want and you begin the dialogue. Uh, and, and if you can start it early and, and get into a regular cadence, you're really going to be able to have ongoing conversation and, and you will be visible and be able to have be in, in more control of your destiny. Well, thank goodness you're a professor because you have so many insights to share and you dropped another one in there real quick that I love that needs an additional highlight. Self-promotion equals career planning. There are so many women out there who are emotional about talking about their contributions. They're so focused on team. Here's what my team did. Here's, here's what, what they achieved. Don't forget that you led the team or you were a critical part of the team and you need to be able to highlight what you did and you need to be able to talk about that, bring it up on your resume, bring it up on an interview, bring it up when you have that conversation with your boss about a promotion or a raise. And remember this, the, the, these five words, self-promotion equals career planning. Like I think if we can kind of lock that in our brain, it gives us the why behind that LinkedIn post or that um, reason to speak up when it's, you know, we've been waiting patiently, like maybe it's time that you get off the bench and get in there and have the conversation. I totally agree. And I, I have shared before that I saw someone who uh, had the better resume was going for this really high level position and the interview committee said, she kept saying, we did this about her team that I'm really not sure what she did. And she was the SVP of this organization of a company whose name you would know, who clearly led the team to do this, but she didn't, she didn't share that. She didn't share what was her contribution. And so it's important for us as leaders to acknowledge the team, but that balance of I and we, and, and I think, you know, it's a collaborative process when it's self-promotion. It feels like we're just saying, oh, what about me? And, you know, I'm so great or that kind of thing. But when we think of it as career planning and collaboration, your boss wants to know what you want too, because mm-hmm. that, that person here, she or they could, could get it for us and not lose us. I mean, they want the most out of us too. So they want to know, they want to know. And they what they might assume incorrectly if they don't. Yeah, that's it's such a perfect example of of how that comes to fruition when one of the strengths of women is supporting our team and being very inclusive, but it's also a hamstring moment for this woman yeah. with a better resume that didn't get the job because she didn't say I. Yes. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. 
Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's breakthroughbrands.com. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. Oh boy. Okay. So, so frustrating. So. I know. I know. Uh, so speaking of, of words in conversation over the last month or so, since the Barbie movie came out, there's been some quotes from the movie that have kind of risen to the top and taken the world by storm. And, and one of them was that as a woman, it's impossible. You have to be a boss but you can't be mean that you have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. And you talk about this, this double blind for women that they have to be both uh, driven by, you know, their expectations, but also leadership and their gender comes into play. So talk a little bit more about that and how we can be described in these leader leaderful terms and not really have this double blind of, but you're, you know, no, you're really helpful or nurturing. Like how, do, how does that all come to fruition and how do we combat uh, these terms? Yeah. So there was research done and it was, they referred to it as the double bind that, that women face sort of like a double-edged sword, or, you know, it's, it's sometimes this tightrope that we walk and that the, in the research, they identify that you know, if you if you ask men and women uh, describe a leader, they're going to describe traits that signal a white man, basically, and that's the root of who leaders have been. And if you this ask the same group, men and women describe women, you're going to get the nurturing, communal uh, kinds of words as well. And and so what happens is then women, we have our gender, but then we come in and want to be a leader. And, and it's almost like, what's wrong with this picture? And, and that's what many times we face. And we get kind of lumped into one or the other. 
So in my experience, I was considered probably more warm. And I, early on, I, I described this in the book, early on, I was told they don't think you're tough enough. And I worked with my boss. Fortunately, he eventually told me this. And I worked with my boss to how do I showcase the decisions I am making? Because he knew that I was tough enough, but the decision makers above him didn't know. And so when you come across as warmth, you've got to very quickly also show I'm really competent here too and, and leader-like. And then similar, if you come off in this, you know, you, you are somebody who gets down to business, you are um, lead with your competence. Like I referred to my friend, who's the professor who does the offset, she knows that's how she is. And she doesn't want to be described as, you know, the B word. Um, that some might, and she does this offset of like, here's why I do what I do. Uh, and she may not be the warmest of professors, but boy, do people want to take her class because of what they get from it. So wherever we are on this, it, it's, it's unfortunate that we are in a world where we have these different associations and um, it's it's something we have to understand that that's that's what you know. I feel like knowledge is power, and so if you understand how you come across and you can get feedback to help you to do that, that is um, incredibly helpful to understand how you might navigate how others see you. And you know, I talk a lot about feedback and going into new situations with you know, interviewing or rather having coffee chats with people that you work with and ask them, you know, what is it, what do you hope I'll do? What do you maybe fear I'll do? And, you know, really just getting to know other people too. Yeah. This piece of critical feedback from your boss early in your career kind of shaped who you became as a leader. What are some of those strategies that you can share with us in ways to give, get, and gain feedback because sometimes it's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to digest. So we don't ask in the first place because we don't want to get bad news. Yeah. Well, in, in feedback, I mean, there's such a paradox with feedback because we want to be told we're so so uh-huh. wonderful how we are. And we want that A plus. Yeah, yeah, we want the A plus. But at the same time, we want to develop ourselves too. So um, it, you know, it, it's one that, that's pretty tricky, but I think it's so important to, I say, know the book on you in the sense of know what is said about you when you're not in the room. What do others think um, about you? And I think first give others permission to give you feedback. So what that might look like with your boss or a peer or someone like that, I'm really working on my presentation skills or delegating more or prioritizing where I expend my energy on a project. So you're, you're talking about, you're introducing the, I'm developing something. It also could look like, I love the Marshall Goldsmith way of asking for feedback, feed forward, as they say, what's one thing I could do to be a better podcast guest. You know, that's giving you one, I won't hit you up for that afterwards, or maybe I will, but that's like giving you permission for one thing. You could probably think of one thing versus how am I doing? Or can I pick your brain about my career? Those are so broad. 
So you want to give permission. You want to create powerful questions like a feed forward question, or it, you know, I, I mentioned before, I love the questions, especially if you're in a new working relationship or a new team. What do you hope I'll do? What do you fear I'll do? Those are better than any kind of performance objective because you really know what people want and what they're worried about. It's a great way to sort of jumpstart relationships. I also think another thing that's so important is how you listen. And I, in my class, Personal Leadership Insights, we, we do a little module on listening and I ask people to listen with a different lens for different topics throughout the course. And I think when you're getting feedback, listen with curiosity. It, it is listening with curiosity is a way to take you out of any judgment. Like who is he or she to tell me this or those kinds of things. So getting curious about that feedback, hmm, is that true? Like not out loud, but is that true? When might that be true? Is that more about the other person or is that truly about me? So it's it's a way to just be curious about that. And then I think with the feedback that you're getting, decide what you'll act upon. And it doesn't mean you have to act upon all the feedback. I mean, you, you have to decide. And then when you do, share that what you're working on and the progress so that you can kind of check in and see. So that's mm -hmm. a bit more about getting feedback. I think that the biggest thing I've learned about giving feedback now that I've shared that I'm on the more warmer side than, than the competency side, at least in how people perceive me, is I tap into my care, that caring side to give it to someone straight in the, in the sense of, it's really not, I, I'm very people oriented, but I'm really not if I'm not being honest and straightforward with the feedback. So for someone who doesn't want to hurt someone else's feelings, in my mind, you're going to hurt them long-term if you're not telling them either the job's not a mismatch or is a mis mismatch, or there's something that's holding them back you are actually caring for them by giving the feedback. And so I know that that's, a, that's more of a mindset shift, but even in a small way, if you can try to give feedback and even say the words, you know, I care enough about you to share this thing that I'm seeing and I'm concerned it might hold you back in your career. And that's sort of an attention getter for someone else. So that's more caring than the feedback sandwich, you know, yeah. that, that everyone's expecting. And then, you, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is be so nice to someone that they miss the content. And then later on, they're saying, no one told me this. Mm -hmm. that, that's like, I, I hate when I hear, I go into an organization and I hear someone didn't know and other people thought they knew or other people know. Um, and so, so we all in organizations have to get better at, um, you know, I think dipping into our care and our courage to be straightforward with others because it can only help them get better and just take the pause afterwards, let people process it. 
Yeah. Well, I think some of the reasons why we might be bad at getting and giving feedback is because we're our own toughest critics. Yeah. So I know you've, you've touched on this a little bit, but how do we combat that inner antagonist that overtakes our shot at growth? Um, it might create that mirror door. It might stop us from asking for feedback in the first place because we're already beating ourselves up. I, I think the first thing we can do is recognize it. You know, I say, what what is your inner antagonist or your inner critic's greatest hits? And, and, you know, what are they? And that might be a long list or it might be, but what, like, what's, what's the most common thing, you know, in, in identifying what is that voice? Like, who, who are you to, to write a book or who are you to go after that promotion? What, whatever, whatever that voice is and, um, and, and being clear on what that is, when it, when it, you know, when did it first sort of arrive as, one of your greatest hits, um, because I think so often we have this this antagonistic side that, in some ways, might be designed to protect us, but it's it's really preventing us from moving forward. And it's important to identify it and to create a counterbalance to it. And you know, I say antagonist because I think the counterbalance is the protagonist. Like, so if we are the the center of our story, the lead in our story, what, what would we say? And it's, it's not, who are you? It's, it's likely something more like, why not me? Why shouldn't I go for that promotion? Why shouldn't I write a book or whatever those things are? And um, so it's catching yourself when, when your mind goes there. It also might be getting feedback. I mean, to our earlier conversation, um, stepping back to uh, getting feedback on, uh, you know, reaching out to people who might know you, know you in action, but know, are you ready for that promotion? And what would it take to get you ready? So that you're getting a more practical view versus it's just about an emotion uh, from something that happened possibly years ago as well. So I think it takes practice. Um, it takes support from other people to, um, to move away from that. And uh, I think it takes courage. You know, one, one of the things that I truly believe is that, you know, I, I have so many people, students, clients, and there's so many books on, I need to be more confident when I think that's the outcome of us taking actions and learning that we can figure it out and what we really need is courage. So we need that courage to say no to the antagonist who's saying whatever that line is that pops in our head the moment that opportunity opens up for us. Yeah, I resonate with what you said so much because I, I used to be the woman who would tell herself those, these crazy stories about why I couldn't do things. And it wasn't until I started to analyze like, okay, what are those greatest hits? Like you said, like, why am I saying this? Then sharing the, those inner thoughts that I had with other people around me who you might find, see you in a completely different way and what you're capable of and will encourage you to get to that next level. And once you start practicing that day after day, you start to believe 
your, your own story and you start to achieve those things that you've dreamed of. And you talked about courage, proceeding, confidence. What do you think are some of those steps that women can take to elevate their courage so that they can start practicing those behaviors to become a more confident person? I think it's about taking small steps. And so the origin of this book was me being in an auditorium and seeing a female keynote speaker share her her career journey and open it up for questions and no women raised their hands. And it took me back to my own times when I didn't raise my hand. So sometimes it's as simple as raising your hand or speaking up in a, in a meeting. And I think it's it takes practice. So it might be setting a goal of in this you know team meeting, I'm going to uh, speak up once or maybe it's three times. And and it's easiest if it's one of those kinds of goals, it's easiest to go early before the good answers are taken, whether it's in a classroom or even in a team meeting or something like that. So it's it's putting ourselves out there in something that feels uncomfortable, but but try it in the most low stakes situation. Now, so often we feel like everything is high stakes and it's really not. It's really not. Did anyone die after they said something that kind of fell flat in a meeting? No. Mm-mm. Did anyone get fired? No. Yeah. Does anyone remember what was said other than the person who said it? And so we kind of really like inject reality and, and find there's there might be something and it might be um, that person who always counts on you to take care of their kids or to to stay late to do something. And uh, so so having sort of a, even a phrase that's ready to say, oh, I can't do that uh, this time but happy to next week versus I can't do that. Cause I have this, and like the, the other things that sometimes we say, and we sort of lose our power in saying, uh, we, we have every right to say no. To. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what you described here is really surviving the little moments, like pushing yourself just a teeny bit farther, knowing that you survived it, having the courage yes. to perform that, you know, one little thing, surviving it. And that is eventually going to up level to build your confidence over time and prepare you to become the leader you were meant to be. And Ellen, you have a book coming out. Tell us more about that. When will it be available? When can we get it? When can we learn even more from you? Sure. So it um, it is mirror door breakthrough, the hidden barrier that locks successful women in place. And it is available for pre-order now and will be released on October 10th of this year. And it is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, and will be out in independent booksellers as well. And um, I also share a lot on LinkedIn and on my website, ellentafe.com. And um Will when I have public events, I will post them as well. Right now, I'm doing a lot of fireside chats in companies and in women's groups, um, and doing a lot of podcasts too. So, so happy to talk to you today. Yeah, it's been awesome. Before I let you go, I have got four little quick hitter questions for you. So, the okay. first one is the weightiest. 
Uh, but your chock full advice, I'm going to have to have you pick just one. What's your top piece of advice for women to start today so that they can level up tomorrow? Uh, when people tell you who you are, those those loving critics who can't believe what the critic is saying, believe them. Stop the discounting that so often happens. Where are you traveling to next? Next week, D.C., but in November, London. Oh, okay. What is your pump-up song? You're getting ready to deliver uh, the greatest talk of your life. What are you listening to before you take the stage? Um, Let's see. I think maybe fight song uh, that like you know, I'm, I'm late in my career. So like, I have a lot of fight left in me because I'm very much like trying to drive change and, and make a difference. Um, so that one, and then uh, there's also one from Hamilton that is like, I'm not giving up my shot because I do feel like I have this opportunity to impact others as well. So two unlikely ones, but, um, but they, they, uh, help me to go after what I want when I'm up on stage. And finally, what is your favorite quote? Um, let's see. Let me hope I get this right. Um, when we say things that are, say or write things that are consequential, there can be consequences. The alternative is that we might be inconsequential. I love it. This has been just a fantastic interview. So full of advice for us as leaders and a really clear path for us to grow that you've laid out. So thank you so much. We can't wait to pick up a copy of your book. I will link it all in the show notes and we'll have to have you back after book launch and hear about um, all the people you've met along the book tour and the lives that you've inspired. So thank you so much. I would love that. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, self-promotion equals career planning. Number two, know the book on you. Through understanding the feedback you get from others, listen with curiosity when receiving feedback and learn how to ask feed forward or powerful questions when asking for feedback like, what do you hope I'll do and what do you fear I'll do? Number three, we are our own toughest critics. Knowing your inner critic's greatest hits will help you to overcome your inner antagonist and elevate your inner protagonist. And number four, courage precedes confidence. Practice the small behaviors and the moments that scare you. Surviving these little moments will build your confidence over time. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadershipisfemale. Now. 
take this lesson and run. Let's go.